Hello, human family. I'm Jocelyn, and I am grateful you're here. Welcome to the Starting with Gratitude podcast. This is a safe space intended to host heart-centered conversations exploring all topics of the human and spiritual experience. Every conversation starts with gratitude and remains rooted in gratitude. After you listen, make sure to join the community by subscribing and sharing. I am so happy you have joined us. It's your girl, your host, Jocelyn. Y como siempre, I am so grateful you are here and I'm so grateful you are tuning into this conversation because we are with the one and only Brian Zizuk. Zizuk. Uh, you also, it right. Okay, cool. Uh, who is also known by Z. And I actually want to read your LinkedIn bio because <laughs> it's really well written. And, you know, I couldn't express it better. So Brian is the co-founder of AudioMac, an artist-first music streaming and audio discovery platform. If you're an artist listening to this, you absolutely have to head on over to AudioMac because if not, you're missing out. Z currently serves as as SVP of operations for AudioMac, which reaches more than 25 million MAU globally. Z previously served as VP of DJ Booth, an independent New York-based digital music publication and media house, which he co-founded with AudioMac co-founder David Mackley. Together, Mackley and Z turned DJ Booth into an industry leader in long-form music journalism, generating more than 8 million page views per month and annual, re- and annual revenue exceeding $1 million. Z remains the editor-in-chief of DJ Booth, which in 2020 entered into a content partnership with AudioMac. In 2022, Z was selected to join the Recording Academy as part of their new member class. Man, whoever whoever wrote that really uh, knows what they're doing. <laughs> Did a great job. Thank you so much. Uh, when you read your bio, or like when you hear your bio, like are you in awe of nah. yourself? No, nah, not really. You know, none of this was supposed to happen. You know, I I got a degree in in mass communications with an emphasis on um, broadcast journalism. And I wanted to talk on the radio for a living. I got a a minor in park and recreational administration only because I worked at summer camps for eight years. And at the time, the school, uh, Illinois State University, they required if you wanted a major in mass comm, you needed a minor. And I picked the minor that had the fewest requirements based on experience because I could use the time that I was working for the park district as a camp director as a fulfillment of the requirements, right? Um, none of this was supposed to happen. I, I graduated. I pursued radio. I got a job in radio. I hated it. And DJ Booth at the time was just a hobby. We didn't go to a bank. We didn't take out a loan. Um, it's just such a unusual way to start what was the first of two successful so far, thank God, uh, businesses. So yeah, I, to answer your question in an extremely long-winded fashion, something you'll probably get used to during this conversation, no, um, I'm, I'm not in awe because I, I haven't had the time to really step back and, and, and think about it that way. But it feels good to hear it from you. Yeah, I mean... 
it's incredible everything that you've achieved and you saying that it wasn't supposed to happen i mean my follow-up for that is like why why did it happen why do you feel like you know you were led to this path like what you know what made this happen the short answer to that question is it happened because I just always feel like I, I work harder than than my peers. Um, when I was 22, 23, 24, I was still living at home with my parents. And uh, I was probably putting in 80, 85 hours a week. I, I, I took breaks from work to sleep and eat, get a, maybe a, a flicker of sunshine here or there. Uh, but I parked my ass in a seat and I worked diligently to uh, help DJ Booth grow. Uh, I went to any and every industry event. I took meetings and calls with whoever would give me the time of day. I sent out a million cold emails that if I read them today, I would probably shudder at how poorly they were worded and how inappropriate they might have been and just... I, I just, I, I cared so much. I wanted to build something. I didn't know what we were building. I just knew I, I felt good about it. And um, 17 years later, uh, I'm still able to do this every day. And I don't take that for granted. I was going to ask you, I mean, you know, what, what you feel your greatest contribution to your success has been. You know, if you were to fill in the blank, you know, if it weren't for this, I wouldn't be where I am today. You mentioned hard work, but aside from being a hard worker, what do you feel like if it was, if it weren't for this, I would not be here. Well, if we go all the way back, you know, when I was in high school, I played basketball and baseball. I, I knew I was never going to be a professional, but I grew up playing sports and I cared a lot about sports. Um, and uh, I think it was my sophomore year. I was playing a game of pickup football at the park and I got really badly hurt. I, I tore up my knee pretty bad. And um, I quit playing basketball and baseball because after six months of physical therapy, I just I was no longer interested in it. Um, but I needed something to do because going home after school, I just I refused. So I got into debate and public speaking. I used to um, host pep rallies at my high school and uh, I would be the MC for different events. And I got really comfortable talking. And that led me into doing television in high school, which led me to doing radio in college, which eventually led me into the music industry where DJ Booth blossomed and Audio Mac is thriving. So, um, yeah, I, to answer your question, to go all the way back, if I had not gotten hurt, maybe I would have pursued sports a little longer. That wouldn't have worked out. I wouldn't have figured out what I really wanted to do in life sooner. Who knows? But, yeah, th that day I was in a lot of pain, but that pain perhaps uh, led to this this career, maybe? Yeah, and I mean, what I also took from that bit of your story is like, I feel like you stepping into the power of your voice also really contributed to this. So I feel like, you know, I mean, when you are a founder of a business, you have to be using your voice a lot and you have to be confident in using your voice a lot, you know, like really expressing why it is you believe in what you're building and convincing others to also believe in what you're building. Um, would you say that's true? Like, do you feel like? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to uh, highlight the genesis of, of these stories, right? You know, traditionally speaking within music and tech, 
companies are heavily funded, right? You know, so they have VC money, they're Silicon Valley based. Uh, they're created with the purpose of generating massive wealth for s- shareholders, um, getting the, the folks who invested in them paid back. Every decision that's made is with that and that alone in mind. Um, you know, Audio Mac was birthed on $5,000. Um, and we operated for six years before we took on any investment money. Um, and this is a company that I'm proud to work for that is made up of creatives. So it's like, it's, it's a company that is for creatives by creatives. Um, our creative director is a producer and a DJ. Our, our SVP of revenue is a producer and recording artist. We have photographers and producers and DJs who work at various, um, levels of, of the company, Pe- people who care and are invested. And I think that that changes everything. For sure. I mean, when I think of, I mean, one one reason why I, I'm in awe of what you've built is because of what it is that you've built. Like DJ Booth and Audio Mac both just like really feel like very genuine brands and platforms that that are for the people and i think that what you just shared plays a big role in that because the people behind it actually share the stories of the people that are coming to those platforms they actually are mere reflections of that you know because there are other platforms and spaces that you know aren't actually in the shoes of the people that they're serving and it makes a big difference and it does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love I love that that's um, that that's what you've got out of all of this. I, and I think you were very articulate in the way that um, you sort of analyzed it all. You know, we care and we know we care. Um, making sure that that's the that's the vibe being um, shared with the world, you know, you can you can try your hardest. It doesn't always come across the right way. Um, you know, going back to the DJ booth days, you know, we were very selective what topics we covered, how we covered them, um, how we composed headlines, how we composed tweet copy. Um, it just th- these things matter. Did, did we screw up from time to time? Absolutely. It's impossible to operate in that space and not screw up. Um, but ultimately, if you care, that will be a, a guiding principle. And, and it's, it has served us well up to this point, I think, I hope. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were, or I'm guessing there were also moments where you feel like it was actually working against you to be so intentional about the way that you were moving and who it is that you were working with and what it is that you were publishing. Because you can go the easier route sometimes and just, you know, hire someone who is incredibly experienced, but but may not be as passionate or may not actually, you know, be able to connect with artists the way that you would want your team to or publish a story that might get a lot of clicks, but doesn't actually align with your values of your platform. Did you have those moments where it was like, you know, we got to stick with our intentions. We got to stick with our values, even though it might lead us to taking the longer route. Absolutely. I mean, d- during during the, the, the height of DJ Booth's popularity, we pivoted several times. You know, before the proliferation of streaming, 
you know, our bread and butter were song track reviews where we would highlight songs and then compose, I don't know, a 150 word blurb that was part educational, part opinion based that encapsulates the writer's feelings about that track. Um, if we had just continued to focus only on song um, blurbs, we probably would have gone out of business. Um, but we uh, we cut that off prematurely because we saw the, the change wins. We saw that people were not going to go to websites and blogs to stream um, music and, and, and read about it. They, they wanted to be on social media to talk about it. And then they were going to be on their streaming platform to listen to it. And so uh, that required us to pivot to like long form, more thoughtful journalism um, that was equal parts discovery driven and educational, but also op-eds where we offered really, truly unique perspectives. Um, but as we learned, as we did that, you know, who the author of those messages is, is equally important, if not more important than the message that they're sharing with the world. Um, and so, you know, how we assigned albums or, or topics for uh, a writer, um, who we chose to use for certain topics, um, th that was, we learned on the job. Um, you know, there were oftentimes articles that I was proud that we published, but I think the perspective shared from that author, we would have been better served if we found a different voice. Um, and, and along the way, I think we did figure it out. Um, but you know, that were there bumps in the road? Yeah, but you need, you need those bumps. You, you need to go through that, uh, in order to, to discern right from wrong, uh, and, and grow hopefully from those experiences. You know, as you bring up pivoting, I feel inspired to ask you what's one of the most recent pivots that you've made in 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 business, if you're open to sharing. I think a pivot that we've made recently uh, with respect to Audio Mac is um, with our original content uh, performance series. So we have various original content series, um, Fine Tune, which is an unplugged acoustic style series where we pair an artist with an instrumentalist and they do um, uh, an alternative version of that recording, uh, but with only that one instrumentalist accompanying, like a harpist, a pianist, flutist, et cetera. Uh, there's Bless the Booth, which is a freestyle series where we provide a production menu for a hip hop artist. They select a sample free cleared beat and then they uh, rap over the top. Hopefully they wrote their lyrics down ahead of time so that we, we don't need to film for eight hours. Um, and then there's Trap Symphony. Uh, where we pair an artist with a nine or 12 piece orchestra. The orchestra learns three to five of their songs and they do a medley of them, right? Um, you know, th these, all these series costs a lot in production, right? If you're hiring an orchestra, that, that, that's not cheap. Uh, you're renting a venue for everybody to perform. That's not cheap. Um, and there's a lot of other hidden costs, right? Um, both real and in terms of the bandwidth of the participants who have to make it happen. And um, at one time, I think our strategy for YouTube content, which is not our core competency, we're a streaming service. We wanna draw people into the audio Mac world, not push them to YouTube. But one of our strategies was like, let's feed the the YouTube algorithm, like that, that beast. Let's churn a ton of content out. Um, people who use YouTube music might find audio Mac content, be curious about who we are. And then hopefully that user's journey is to navigate to 
um, the App Store or Google Play download us and then become a user. Um, but that, that just didn't work, right? There, too many people need to be involved from ideation to publishing and every step along the way for a piece of content to be truly successful, right? Um, and it was, it was hampering our operation. Um, on a multitude of levels. So we have since pivoted. We're still doing all of that content, but we have significantly scaled back in terms of the volume, um, quality over quantity approach in hopes that those artists that we do select, that their performances are elevated to a greater level um, and that it will not uh, strain the operation as it, as it did in the past. Um, but for something like that, you just have to you figure out along the way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And something question. that, that I'm, I'm excited to expand on with you that is incredibly important in business and in, in the entrepreneurial path in um, creating, especially to your scale is a co-founder is a business partner and you and Mackley, you know, co-founded, DJ Booth, and then you co-founded Audio Mac. So you guys have been on this journey together for a very long time. And something must be working for you all to still be here and to not only create one, you know, incredible company, but another one together. So, I mean, there's so many questions I can ask here in regards to bus your business partnership. But I guess I'll start with, you know, what about you two just works? So in 2005, I sent Dave a cold email and I introduced myself. He had actually created DJ Booth while he was in college. Um, it was not a business. It was a hobby. Um, I DJed in college myself. And I basically told him, um, I don't remember verbatim what the email said, but the, in a nutshell, you know, I write, I write articles, I write reviews, um, I conduct interviews I was doing podcasting before it was like cool and fashionable. Um, and I said, I would love to publish my work on your platform. I said, I went to the library. I checked out some of the um, how to create a website for dummies books. And I guess I'm a dummy because I can't figure that shit out. Um, would you be open to that? And by the way, I want no money. I made clear, like, just give me the keys to the car. Um, I'm not looking for money. I, I, I saw the platform as an opportunity to expose the world to my work. I want to say within the hour, he hit me back and we talked about reformatting the platform with my vision. And almost immediately, I started creating content for it. At that time, we weren't really business partners. He was just, you know, allowing me to use DJ Booth's platform to create content. But then as we started to grow, Month over month, page views went up. Time of session length went up. Revenue went up. Um, we started having conversations. Well, you know, we have something here. We should formalize this um, so that it's not just you know Dave sending me a PayPal uh, for you know five hundred dollars, right? Um, so we we became an LLC um, with clearly defined titles and roles, and we started to operate the business accordingly. And within, I want to say two years, Dave quit his full-time job. Um, we got to that point where he felt comfortable doing that. Um, so you're talking about 2007. By 2012, we were hosting 
artist mixtapes on on DJ booth, but you know that was not our core competency. There's so many considerations, servers and bandwidth and hosting costs, um, but we had the relationships with artists. And so along with three other co-founders besides Dave and myself, um, another Dave, half the company, half, the, half of AudioMac, their first name is Dave. If, 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 I'm, surprised, I'm surprised I work for the company. My name is not Dave. Um, another Dave, David Ponte, uh, and then our CTO, Ty, and um, uh, Tom, uh, who oversees all design. We created AudioMac on $5,000. Um, and at that point, Dave and I had already been working together for seven years and now now 10 years later so 17 years in total um dave and i continue to work side by side and i think what what makes our relationship specifically work is um he knows what my strengths are and i know what his strengths are um i know for a fact i really can't do what he does best and i'd like to believe he's not on the call so we'll go with this i'd like to believe he knows that i can do what i do better than he can that's what I think makes for a great partnership. Because if you feel like what you could do, what the other party does is replaceable or that you could do it, that can create um, fissures and uh, frustrations and animosity. So uh, for anyone listening who is considering going into business with someone else, consider what your strengths are, what their strengths are, and whether there's overlap. Uh, and, and that probably will, uh, will help you chart your journey. I feel like another thing that's really important in business partnership, especially if you find your businesses or business growing, is both of you being willing to continue to expand on that journey. You know, like both of you being visionaries, both of you um, being down to see where the growth takes you because there are some business partnerships where, you know, one of you may be afraid of the growth and it might stunt you and you may not want to move forward or one of you sees something more expansive for the business uh, that the other one doesn't really resonate with. So I'm guessing, you know, since you guys are still journeying together that you both are open to the continued expansion of what you're building and you're down to just go with the flow and face the fears that come with growth. Yeah. It, growth is scary. Um, fear of the fear of the unknown. I, you know, I think what has helped us though, which is unique to our experience, my experience is uh, across two companies that probably is different for a lot is that as a small company, we have the ability to, pivot on a dime, be nimble, make decisions that don't require an extraordinary level of uh, sign-offs and oversight. When you grow substantially and you're a, you're a Spotify, for a decision to, for an idea to turn into a decision to then be executed and be out into the world, the number of, of folks who are uh, along for that ride, who have to approve or sign off on and just the the checks and balances can take years years um because you know dj booth at its at its peak i want to say had 10 people in total uh, including dave and i uh on board in either a full or part-time capacity i want to say audio mac has about 53 full-time employees and then we have contractors who work in product and dev and operations all across the world but we're still small enough where 
um, we can push things through quickly, which saves time on the back end, right? Because nothing's ever perfect. Like, you know, you talk to an artist and you say like, when do you know your song is done? And they're like, I just have a feeling because it could always be tinkered with and changed down the road. And with streaming now, you see that happen. Artists release songs and then they um, retroactively make changes to them and send updates to DSPs. But for us, you know, the quicker we're able to get something out, the quicker we're able to, to discern, did this work? Uh, could we have done this better? Uh, what, can, what changes can we make when we, when we, when we update it in the future? Um, and the answers to those questions for us come quicker because we're able to move more, more quickly, as opposed to if we were a larger company, we wouldn't have that ability. Do you find that, you know, you have, you, you brought up that duality of, you know, Mackley being great and strong in, in certain aspects and you having the other aspects that you kind of balance each other out. Do you find also that balance being brought forth where one of you is a bit more visionary and more expansive and the other one is a bit more grounded and more logistical or do yeah, you feel that, like you're, that's, that's me. Okay. Uh, Dave, Dave is absolutely the visionary. Um, you know, uh, we, we were ahead of our time at DJ booth on podcasting. We were ahead of our time at DJ booth on audio streaming. Uh, we were ahead of our time on hosting. Um, and we even for a short period of time worked with a few um, label clients to sell digital downloads and offer free streaming as a means to like get them in the door. Um, and, you know, a ton of the, the products that we've rolled out and the features that are exist within the, the audio Mac ecosystem are, are Dave's brain children. Um, Dave is also unafraid to cut something off that he doesn't think is going to stick even if in that moment it's still working, um, which is something we did several times at DJ Booth where a certain type of editorial was bringing in a tremendous amount of traffic and generating hundreds of thousands of dollars annually in revenue. But we knew that if we stuck with it, we would be defunct in no time. Um, whereas my strengths lie in in the day-to-day -day, uh, operation, right? So, uh, just strategically, how can we get everybody on the same page? How can we create a foundation for this company where there is a structure for everyone to operate uh, successfully and feel good about it? Now, especially more than ever, because so many people at our company work remote, we did not require everybody to come back into the office. A lot of people who were based in New York have subsequently moved to um, LA, Scottsdale, Miami, Atlanta, et cetera. Uh, it's more important now than ever because we're not all in the same room and we have to operate on four or five different time zones and through Slack and Zoom, et cetera, that, that everybody's on the same page. They feel like they're in the know. They feel great about the work that they're doing. They're encouraged to continue to do their very best, that they're not being asked to go above and beyond unreasonably when you work from home, sometimes inherently you feel like you have to always be on because you have access to the internet. That's greatly unfair. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, I think the perfect um, working relationship, whether it's a partnership or not, is where you feel like you do something really well and that person acknowledges that and they know that they can't do it better than you. 
Yeah, you complement one another. Exactly. I, I should have just said that, and that would have been the shorter version of, <laughs> of the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that applies to like every relationship, like you said. And, you know, in experiencing my own business partnership as well, like, I realized that it really is like a life partnership. Like, it's all, it almost sometimes feels like a marriage because you're in communication all the time. And, as we've been talking about, it's important that you compliment one another. It's important that you genuinely like one another because of all the time that you spend together. The only difference is, is that if I get into an argument with any of our uh, senior management or co-founders, I don't have to sleep in a bed with them <laughs> that same night. Um, so, that, which is which is a really big difference. It's if my, yeah. If my wife and I get into an argument in the evening, we always try to talk it out and make amends so that we don't go to bed unhappy with one another or else you're just laying there fuming yeah. and you can't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I also just want to highlight here a couple of things that I'm noticing. Um, one is the importance of allowing yourself to take risks and make sacrifices and be willing to do so uh, with the intention to uh, maintain the well-being of whatever it is that you're creating. And it seems like you and your business partner and your team are all like willing to see if this works, see what we can do better. Let's continue to like, you know, take these moments to take a step back and see where these adjustments need to be made and be willing to make them. And um, the other thing that I'm kind of noticing from you is that, you know, you you feel like you are grateful and appreciative to actually make mistakes and learn from them. Like you don't really, I mean, you might take them to heart in the moment, but ultimately it seems like you're someone who grows from them and alchemizes them into like something that empowers you to move forward in a better way. That's a great observation. And I have to be honest, like it hasn't always been that way. Um, I, I feel like I've really coming to my own, so to speak, um, over the past few years, just from experience, like you don't know what you don't know. And uh, there's plenty I just didn't know. Um, and so I'm constantly trying to not only be a better person in general, but, you know, uh, a better leader, um, a better listener. I think a lot of what has helped me, I was going to say strangely, but probably not strangely, was becoming a father. Um, you know, my daughter turned six in November and when she entered my life, uh, our life, because I know my, my wife will watch this and go, what do you mean your life? So yeah, so Jamie, our life. Um, when she entered our life, it forces you to reprioritize everything. Back in the day, even after I met my wife when we were married, I would work all day long. We would have dinner together. And then more often than not, I would work in the evening. And maybe we'd watch some TV uh, late in the evening. I certainly still took her out for dates. You know, that I was going to be in a doghouse forever if I didn't do that. But then, you know, a child enters your world and like that attention is required permanently. 
Like my wife's fine with watching her reality shows on Netflix if I need to answer a few emails. My daughter, that is completely unacceptable to her. Um, so how I engage with her, how I, how time management um, force, has forced me to reprioritize a ton. And I've taken a lot of those lessons and I have, I believe, successfully applied many in my day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, within AudioMac. Yeah. And we're definitely going to expand a bit more on fatherhood because cool. I love it's, talking it's important. It. Uh, it's significant to your life. Um, but I want to ask somewhat of a basic question, but I feel like it's such a good question. Uh, what do you feel are, or, or, you know, what's one of the greatest risks and one of the greatest sacrifices that you've made professionally? Wow. I, I mean, you know, more recently, I think it was a hard decision, but in, in 2020, um, you know, we understood the, the publishing world climate and, you know, revenue annually had decreased and it became more and more challenging to create um, uh, original written content that stayed true to the ethos of our brand, but that attracted a large enough swath of readers through social media posts and like, you know, um, Google hacking uh, to generate clicks, right? And um, it was extremely stressful because we had never experienced that, at least to that degree before. Um, and so we made the calculated decision to move the entirety of our editorial team at DJ Booth over to AudioMac. We gave everybody who wanted one a full-time job. So they transferred from DJ Booth to AudioMac. And then we basically created AudioMac World, which is the in-app editorial arm of AudioMac in the same vein of what we had done for, um, at the time, uh, 17 years at DJ Booth, right? Um, and so, it was with great happiness that we were able to keep everybody employed um, and continue to create original written content that there is an interest in. Currently, we're generating over 2 million in-app page views of original editorial content at AudioMac. So clearly, people are down to read. It just has to be, the content has to be provided in a very easily digestible manner. Um, but on the other side of that happiness was sadness that it required us to pivot in order to keep the DJ Booth brand um, alive. Because right now, all Audio Mac World editorial is syndicated on DJ Booth. We still do produce um, some original content and some branded content. But by and large, our operation is, is not anything close to what it once was. And so, yeah, that, that, that hits on both sides of, uh, of the coin. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, before we pivot into a bit more of like, you know, the personal life, which this kind of touches into that. So it may be a good transition. But I feel called to ask you, you know, all of all of which you are investing in and creating and have had to deal with behind the scenes, I feel like requires you to have what 
many call an abundant mindset, right? You can't really be in rooted in lack or rooted in um, scarcity or rooted in fear. You may feel the fear, but you're not going to, you know, be rooted in that in a way that, you know, determines how it is that you move in life. Is that something that you had to work with? Or do you feel like you've, you had the capacity to welcome the abundance that you've experienced in your businesses? I almost think I'm always just so goddamn busy. I, I don't have the, the, the free time to really think about it. And if I did, perhaps I would feel differently. Um, I also do therapy, uh, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, I probably needed to start therapy a really long time ago. And I told myself I didn't need it. I told myself I didn't have time for it. And the time thing like is sort of rooted in, in reality, but also it's an excuse. Um, and since I started therapy, I, I have definitely seen an impact just in terms of um, my outlook on things, uh, my ability to compartmentalize uh, to the degree nothing really um, bleeds into another aspect or area of my life. Um, but I think that the, the key is, is just constantly staying busy. So those idle thoughts that could deter, lead you down a path you don't want to go down, which I still have from time to time because I'm a human and we're all imperfect, um, has been helpful. I'd like to take a moment to thank our partner, Athletic Greens, for supporting this podcast, for supporting this community, for supporting the kinds of conversations that take place in this safe space. And I'd also like to thank them for introducing me to their product called AG1, because I'm so grateful to know that with the one scoop of AG1 that I take every single morning when I get back home from the gym, my body is absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens that help me start my day right and help me bring forth optimal health and wellness, not only to my body, but my mind and spirit as well, because it's all interconnected, right? And aside from this nutritional goodness and greatness that Athletic Greens offers, which by the way, they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. I'm a huge review gal. So I was definitely browsing their reviews when we were coming into partnership. They're recommended by professional athletes, trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss, which may be someone you're familiar with. Aside from that, I'm also just so grateful to be partnering with a company that cares about sustainability, which is something that's very important to me. Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. And in 2020, they purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforests. How beautiful is that? So grateful for that. So grateful for this partnership and so grateful that I'm genuinely excited to share them with you. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health, my friends, and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free 
one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash SWG. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash SWG to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I went ahead and put the link in the description below for your convenience. Now let's get back into this incredible conversation. From what I'm perceiving from you expressing that you've just been so busy is I feel less about you being busy and more about you just being devoted to whatever it is you're creating, that you're down to accept whatever is needed to make it successful. So even if the fear comes up or even if you're like, you know, any lack or um, scarcity rooted thoughts surrounding finances or building the team, you're still so devoted to make it making it happen that you're going to set that aside to make it happen. I think that's that's a great analysis. And I think if you were if you were to interview or speak to anybody who who means anything to me, who is a part of my life in any capacity, they'll tell you, or at least I, I, I would hope that they would tell you that anything I'm a part of, I, I put everything into everything. Um, and uh, that sort of um, uh, blinders mentality, um, it, it, it can be bad at times, right? Uh, could be unhealthy. Uh, but for the most part, I'd like to believe that me ascribing to that sort of mentality, like if I'm going to do something, I'm throwing my all into it, um, has been a successful sort of methodology. What have your businesses taught you about yourself, like personally? What have they awakened you to about yourself? Damn, that's a good question. Um I think coming from a publishing background where the internet changed the game and you just, you constantly needed to sort of like feed the beast, so to speak, right? You need to just churn. Um, it requires a level of operation where you're not devoting the, the time and attention really necessary to all the checks and balances, like the if it's if it's a written content, like the copy editing, headline construction, a lot of what I went over earlier. And I noticed for a period of time that in order to keep up with the um, the evolution of online media and the way that social media completely changed uh, user behavior, reader behavior, um, I noticed that we were moving too fast. And so I think what that taught me was, and, and the faster you move, the more mistakes that you make, um, the more retroactive edits you need to make, the more apologies and corrections you need to, to, to issue. And so as it applies to my day-to-day -day now, I think it is instilled in me to slow down. Um, nothing is that important, right? Uh, probably requires um, just a mentality shift, which is... This will get done in the right order with everybody who needs to be involved from, from the jump, fully informed and in the know. And if it was intended that we announce, release, what have you, something on a Tuesday, but we know by Monday evening, like we're not set up for success, let's just pump the brakes. There is no harm in delaying to Wednesday. 
like the like the the world will continue to i was going to say uh rotate on its axis but probably the more apt way of, of describing this analogy was the world will continue to burn uh and uh, nothing will be okay just kidding um yeah it just to slow down uh in a nutshell uh slow down i feel like you coming to this uh, approach and realization of needing to slow down probably has assisted your, um, I don't know if tendency is the right word, but your personality of being someone who works a lot and works very hard. Because you can be working a lot and working very hard and you can be rushing and depleting yourself or you can be working a lot really hard in a slower pace that is actually still sustaining your energy. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that pace has helped you not deplete oh, yeah. yourself. Yeah, especially because I need to structure my days in a very particular way so that I remain available as a husband and a father, as a, as a brother and as a son, as a friend, a family member, and uh, a leader and an employer, right? You know, my daughter just started kindergarten. And so, you know, my morning is structured around helping my wife get my daughter out the door. My evening is structured around being able to tend to any late arriving inquiries, requests, calls, while still being an active and present husband and father to assist with, you know, dinner and our nighttime routine. And, you know, you throw a monkey wrench in there if I have like a work trip or um, business meetings or a conference or a speaking engagement, you know, or what have you. But the patience thing, that can be applied at all times, at all times. But it's not something anybody can just go, that sounds like a good idea. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to do that. You really have to to tailor it to your specific life, your specific day-to-day routine um, and figure things out over time. I'm constantly tinkering with my own schedule to see whether or not something makes more sense. For example, not scheduling calls after a certain time, scheduling calls only during a certain block, scheduling calls back-to-back early in the week so that it frees me up later in the week to do other things that you can't do if you're on a call all day long. I'm never satisfied with what I've come up with. I've always thought that there's like a better way out there. But I'm patient enough to not rush into anything, but to give it time. So if I make a tweak, I give it a few months and then I reassess. You know, if it doesn't work week one, it might work week two. But if you don't get to week two, you you never know. Yeah. And I feel too that like the adjustments are somewhat never ending because... As you evolve, what you need to adjust evolves too, right? Like I'm sure what worked for you before you were a father, you had to adjust when you became a father. You know, what worked for you when you only had, you know, when you, before you created Audio Mac and only had DJ Booth, probably had to make some adjustments once Audio Mac came into the picture as well. And yeah, I just wanted to highlight that because, you know, sometimes we can feel like, you know, I need to find the one Thing that works forever, but actually, you know, it's going to evolve as you continue to evolve. And um, yeah, it's ever changing. I agree. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, how would you answer that same question that you just asked me? I've really awakened to the truth that how you start your day matters a lot. 
like your morning is your foundation. And mm -hmm. for me, you know, when I do my morning routine that currently works for me because that's evolved, it really sets me up for success for the rest of the day. Whereas when I rush my morning routine or don't do everything that, you know, I know contributes to the greatness of my day in my morning routine, it, I notice that it does set me off for the rest of the day. So I really prioritize my mornings and put my phone on like do not disturb for the first couple of hours and really just make sure that I am grounding myself in this foundation that's going to set me up for success for the rest of the day. I love that. And, and I've, I've, I've done the same. I used to roll over when my alarm went off, immediately look at my phone. I would see the little badge next to the app and how many notifications. And I'd see my inbox and there'd be some absurd, just rude number of, of emails, right? Because we have so many uh, partners and team members who are in um, Europe and in Africa, right? So, you know, when I wake up, they've already had a five, six hour day. And I would immediately feel anxious. I'd want to take my phone and chuck it out the window. Um, and so I make a concerted effort to make it through the beginning stage, like the prior to my soon to be six year old daughter waking up part, uh, me time. I, I don't answer emails. I don't even look at my inbox. Um, I ignore all notifications. All I check is news headlines, make sure that the world is, we're not at war, right? <laughs> uh, the weather for the day so I know uh, how to dress and my portfolio. That's it. <laughs> Everything else I ignore until I leave the house and um, get into the office. And that way I feel like I'm not um, starting my day off on the wrong foot if I read an email that sets the wrong tone or, you know, what have you. Take spend on this a little bit, you know, something that, you know, awakened me to the importance of a morning routine and not going to your phone first thing in the morning or even in those first couple of hours is because, you know, I intentionally want to ground myself in my own energy. I think it's important to be mindful that when we go to those emails, first thing in the morning and we start feeling that overwhelmed, that anxiousness, we're going to feel it for the rest of the day. And when we start, if we scroll first thing in the morning, we're feeling the energies of all the people that are emitting their emotions onto social media. And we're absorbing that like unawarely and subconsciously. So it's important to me that I'm like, okay, this is my energy for the day. It's not influenced by the emails or whatever everyone's tweeting and posting. I know that I can move forward with the day of like centered in my own state of being, not influenced by others. I used to tweet in the evening and inevitably what would happen is, you know, 97% of the engagements would be thoughtful and positive. And then there'd be one engagement that was just so thoroughly uh, distasteful or uh, anxiety inducing. And then I couldn't let that one or two engagements, which didn't represent like the general consensus uh, for the information or opinion I conveyed, would affect like my ability to like fall asleep. Um, and then 
inevitably I would fall asleep, but then I wake up in the, the following morning and I'd immediately go back to see like, hey, did every other person who responded, uh, was it in the same manner? Were, were they equally offended or uh, bothered or rude? Or did it follow the former track, which was like, yeah, this is great. Thank you for sharing this with the world. And I realized like, what am I doing? Um, and so I have significantly not only scaled back the volume of uh, tweets, but the time that I tweet because I don't want it to affect my job. I don't want it to affect my disposition throughout the workday. I certainly don't want to come home after the workday and, and have it follow me into the house and affect the way that I interact with and treat my wife or my daughter um, because I sense that about myself. I, I would have an unpleasant engagement from someone I don't even know. And then someone close to me would ask me a very harmless question and I would snap. And it was because of that emotion that built up from an engagement that was not in the real world that means nothing from someone I don't even know. Um, and you know, it's, it's, what's interesting is People have seen, people who follow me on Twitter have seen that I'm just not as active anymore. And I've gotten DMs and emails like, everything okay? Are you cool? Like, yeah, just not tweeting as much. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm actually better. I'm way better. Uh, it, 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 interesting that that was the observation. Yeah, that's really beautiful that you became aware of that and you also applied that awareness and made an adjustment that was Tried. necessary. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like, you know, some people listening to this may hear you say that you're a very hard worker and you work all the time and may perceive that in a way where it's like, oh, like, you know, you don't want to be working all the time or, you know, that might be toxic or some kind of perception. But I feel like you're someone who whose passion is energizing all of that work thank you and is causing you not to be depleted i mean i'm sure you have moments where you're like oh my gosh like i did too much or i'm very tired but i, <laughs> I feel do. like your whole journey like it's been the passion that has energized you this whole yeah. time look no, no matter uh, i feel very fortunate to be in the position that i'm in I, I understand that the position that I'm in is something that other people would love. It's not, I've never lost sight of that. At the same time, I, I've worked for everything I've achieved and nothing, nothing was, I mean, I'm white, right? So that obviously helps clearly, but everything I've, I've accomplished has been earned, I've felt, right? You know, even going back to college, like I got scholarships that helped pay for, for school. I don't come from a, a rich family, right? Just traditional middle-class family. Um, my parents, my dad worked hard. That's what he instilled in me. That's what, what, what I ascribe to. And so I think that that's sort of just always guided me is what you put into something, you will get out of it. And so, yeah, I think you're, you're, your analysis that someone could hear that and think something completely different is probably true. Um, I can't change people's perceptions of, of what that means, 
But anyone who has ever engaged with me, who knows me, who works with me, they know that I don't subscribe to that like toxic work culture, that grind mentality. Um, as a matter of fact, we spent years publishing articles on DJ Booth that talked about the impact that that has on your mental and physical well-being. Um, sleep deprivation does not help you become a better creative. Uh, drug abuse does not help you become a better creative. Uh, and it does not. Well, you can make the argument that certain drugs might help you like write better songs or come up with better lyrics. But over the long run, <laughs> that's not a great idea. And I'm not a doctor, but I've been told that that's just not a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also to touch on, you know, working hard and, and kind of circling back to your business partnership, you know, yeah. that's very significant to your success, but also your actual life partnership, like with your wife. I'm sure that, or I'm guessing that, you know, you being someone who is very dedicated to their businesses and to their work, she's also someone who compliments you in a way that supports that. So what about you two kind of similar question that mirrors the other one with your business partner? What about you two just works? Well, I'm, I'm forever indebted to my wife because, you know, for the past uh, five plus years, she has committed herself to the hardest job in the world, which is full-time mother. Um, and we, we understand each other, right? I'm fortunate enough to uh, be able to bring in enough money to support our family and to take care of her and my daughter and pay our bills and, and provide what I'd like to believe is a, is a, is a nice life for us. Um, you know, she has more education than I do. She has a master's degree in social work. She worked as a social worker. Um, and you know, the, what she learned through her education and, and her practical experience in that field, she has brought to, uh, our marriage, our relationship. She's a great listener. She gives great feedback that, that all comes from her background. Um, and so I think our partnership as a, as a, a married couple works because she never makes me feel guilty about the time that I spend doing work because she, I'd like to believe Jamie, uh, appreciates, um, what I, what I do for our family. And I appreciate what she's able to do because I cannot be the, the, the caregiver for our daughter, um, doing the bathing and the dressing and, the. um, the million other responsibilities that I'm not going to list out that uh, re are required to be a great parent. Um, but it's a work in progress, uh, as all relationships are. Um, so we're getting better at it. And I hope that in 10 years from now, we're even better at it. You have a excerpt, a little blurb in your uh, DJ Booth bio that says... Oh boy. <laughs> That says that your career highlights include exchanging emails with Jay-Z. Yep. Awesome. Smoking a cigar with B-Real at the Playboy Mansion. Yep. Awesome. And watching Big Boy record at Stankonia Studios. Yep. Incredible. Now, these are your some of your career highlights, right? What would you say are your personal highlights? Wow. I think the, the, the greatest part about all of this is that um, 
from the beginning at DJ Booth through to Audio Mac to at present, we've been able to give you know over a hundred jobs, um, you know, with benefits. That feels great. That feels really great. Um, everybody who we hired at DJ Booth who stuck with us, every single one of those folks got a full-time job at Audio Mac. And the loyalty um, that they have to me, to Dave, to our, our companies is tremendous. That feels great. Um, and so just being, being able to know that the relationships that have been formed, the work that has been done um, over years uh, means something. I think that that that's everything. Definitely. That's such a great blessing. And I I can resonate with that because the moments where I've been gifted the opportunity to contract independent contractors for certain projects, I've just felt so grateful to have created something that gives others the opportunity to do something that they love. Like that is such an honor. And, you know, I pray that people who listen to this who may aspire to have that get to experience that because it's a it's a really beautiful uh life experience to have that 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 exchange i agree so you are one of the best communicators i've aligned with in the professional field Uh, and you are a very genuine person Um, and you know, it again reflects in your businesses for the people and also reflects in the people that you hire just all across the board. And I'm curious what contributed to having this character. Like, was it your upbringing? Was it your parents instilling this in you? Was it, you know, what, what was it that created this character that you have? Man, that's a great question. And thank you so much. I'm, I'm really flattered. Um, my mom has been uh, sick for over 20 years. Um, when I was a kid, she was diagnosed with MS. And um, uh, there's, there's two types of MS. There's uh, relapsing remitting and secondary progressive. Relapsing remitting is you get an exacerbation, your condition worsens, but then it basically pauses and it doesn't continue to get worse. Secondary progressive MS is where um, you just continually over time deteriorate. Um, and uh, my mother is at a point now in her life where uh, she requires multiple caregivers. Um, she's not ambulatory. She really only has full use of her right arm and hand. Um, and uh, for a long period of time, family was was it, right? So I was thrust into the role of a caregiver, helping my dad care for my mother Um when I was still in, in high school. And so I think that just can't not change the DNA of, of a human. Um, there's a particular order in life where I think everybody thinks things are supposed to go in, right? Like you, you need care when you're a baby. And then when you become a senior citizen, an, el- an elder statesman in the world, you also need care. So as you're coming into the world and as you're going out, it's not expected that when you've only been in the world for less than two decades, that you have to become a caregiver for someone who is not in either of those buckets. And so that, I think, undeniably 
experience seeing seeing someone I love so much be in, in need and have to provide that care. I think that fundamentally, at least I, I told myself this for a long time, that fundamentally changed everything. I became, I had to become a better listener. I had to become more patient. I had to become more um, empathetic. I think it made me um, a better friend, um, a better husband, it certainly made me a better father as a, as a caregiver for my daughter. And I think I'd like to think it bleeds through in the way that I'm an artist advocate um, and that I look out for um, everybody in my orbit, whether I just interact with you positively on Twitter uh, or you're actually someone who I, you know, jump on the phone with. Yeah, that definitely reflects online. Like you, you know, will get questions from artists and I feel like you so patiently and generously <laughs> will respond to them and answer their questions uh, very resourcefully. And um, yeah, I feel like those uh, very pivotal personal um, experiences with family or, or the people close to you definitely impact the way that you show up in life and the way that you respond to life. And I'm sure that it, it just like sobered you on like what actually matters. Yeah. Well, when, when you see a loved one, uh, in, in, in need like that, you know, we take for granted things like being able to brush our own teeth, feed ourselves, dress ourselves without even second thought. So it really puts into perspective, yeah, what what actually matters, um, and what doesn't, and then how quickly you're able to just forget about the stuff that doesn't actually matter. In the moment, you know, we're all humans, so in the moment, we're all allowed to be bothered by things that are not really of great significance. It's the ability to contextualize them, and then say. Well, in the grand scheme, this doesn't matter, but I know what does. And that's, you know, being able to drink out of a cup of water without having to ask someone to, to raise it to my mouth. So, yeah. And I'm sure that also contributed to your gratefulness, right? Like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious if that experience, especially with it being a parent, you know, do you feel like it's brought you or like grounded you to being more present, like more in the present moment? Absolutely. Uh, which is, uh, you know, going back to what we talked about before, help me be a better father. Right. Um, and, and just generally speaking, like, you know, I don't communicate with my five-year-old the same way I communicate with a work colleague. Um, but you have to sort of, um, adapt to the audience, um, and so that takes a certain level of commitment and patience to do it effectively. Um, yeah, I, 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 in the moment, you know, uh, as, as my mother's uh, conditions began to more significantly decline and she needed greater and greater care and it overlapped at a time in my life where I had a different agenda entirely, I didn't want to be doing it. Um, not because I don't love my mother, but because at that time in my life, other things just were a greater priority to me. Um, but now, looking back, I'm, I'm, every second I spent 
caring for her uh, was uh, uh, time well spent. Um, and uh, I'd like to believe she feels the same way. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. I, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This doesn't feel like a podcast. I feel I feels like a friend's talking or a therapy session <laughs> that I don't have to pay a copay for. So thank you. Beautiful. And, you know, to bring back the topic of fatherhood, um, I'm not a parent. One day I pray to be blessed with that experience. Uh, but I know that it's completely life changing. And I'm, um, you know, how has fatherhood or becoming a father shifted your perspective on life? It just, it's no longer about me. <laughs> Everything I do is for her. Um, you know, there are, there are moments where, um, you know, I, I second guess decisions because I know that the decision will impact her. Like for example, um, in July, I took a trip to London for work and the trip was eight days. And most of my business trips are three or four and they're to New York, LA, they're domestic, right? So I'm able to get home quickly. This was a different story. And I had to consider not just my own um, business agenda, but what the impact would be on her, um, especially coming off of um, COVID and lockdowns. We spent an extraordinary amount of time together. Um, her first few years in this world, I was working from home. She was spoiled rotten. She had mom and dad available to her 24 seven. And we're still paying the price for that, by the way. Um, and so, yeah, I just have to be cognizant of every decision that I make and what that will mean for her, not just on a like schedule basis, but a developmental basis, her general happiness. She doesn't fully grasp that like, Daddy needs to go to meetings so that his company does well, so that he makes money, so that I can eat food and drink apple juice and he could buy me new toys. She didn't get that. Let her live her life without having to worry about any of that shit. We all enjoyed life a lot more when we didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, so yeah, uh, living my life for someone else other than myself. That's, that's what it's all about. And this is kind of a personal question if you're open to sharing, yeah. but you know, it's typically said that, you know, when a woman, you know, becomes pregnant, she, she's already feeling, you know, prepared to become a mother and she's feeling like a mother already, but the father, the father to be doesn't feel ready to be a father yet. But once he sees the baby, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm ready to be a father. Like, I feel like a father now. Did you have that experience or how no. was that experience for you? No, I I wanted to be a dad. Um, I couldn't have been more thrilled when we found out that we would become parents. Um, what is true is they say that you fall in love with your child the second that they arrive. And that's just not physiologically, that's just not how this works, right? You have a love for what you've created, but that bond has to be built over time. Um, and so the idea that in a, in a, at a moment's notice, like you just change the way that you feel that that's an, an inaccurate. Um, and anyone who says different is full of shit. Um, 
But what I will say is as a, as a, an anecdote, um, my family has a history of producing nothing but men. Um, my grandfather had three children. They were all men. And those three uh, men got married and cumulatively produced six grandchildren who were all boys. And then my cousin, the oldest, um, he had four kids before we had our first and they were all boys. So going into uh, finding out the gender, I just expected we were producing another boy because quite frankly, I didn't think it was possible at that point to produce anything other than boys. And when we found out at the, the uh, doctor's office that we were having a girl, I wasn't even paying attention to what he was saying. I think I was scrolling Twitter actually, because it was a formality. I was like, he's going to say we're having a boy. And he goes, congratulations, you're having a girl. And I dropped my phone. I, I, I always say this is a true story as though I've been lying the whole time. Everything <laughs> I've said is truthful. I dropped my phone and I started bawling. And both my wife, who was bawling because she found out she was having a, a, a daughter, mm -hmm. and the doctor goes, they go, are you okay? And I said, I wiped my tears. And I said, yeah. I said, I didn't think this was possible. And they go, the doctor goes, um, you do know it's 50-50 every time, right? I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. And then I just told him the story I just told you and our audience that my family has a history of only producing boys. And um, I, strangely, I... I, I I was concerned because I didn't think I knew how to be a great father to a daughter because there were no girls, right? I didn't, I didn't have a sister, no, no female cousins. Um, but then I started telling women in my life the good news and just overwhelmingly everybody said, no, 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 no. You are going to be an incredible father to a daughter. Uh, you have the disposition to be a father for a daughter. And now ha having been a father to a daughter for almost six years, I could tell you, I can't imagine not being a father of a daughter. Um, I think it would actually be weird to be a father to a son uh, because I'm just so used to the, uh, tending to the needs of a little girl. It's crazy. Yeah. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, You're welcome. And uh, congrats on uh, welcoming a girl into your lineage. <laughs> Th thank you so much. It's, uh, it's, it's my greatest accomplishment in life. Yeah. So we've touched on fatherhood. I'm curious about brotherhood. Have you, is that a part, like a big part of your, of your story? Um, and I'm, yes. I'm not speaking just like, you know, brother siblings, but also like brother friends. Yes. Um, but regrettably, um, I, I have lost many, many non-biological brothers um, along the way. And, um, you know, when, when these relationships that, that do still mean a lot to me dissolve, I always take it uh, personally as though I could have done something differently to, to salvage them. But I think as I've gotten older and, and hopefully become a bit more wise and gain greater perspective, I realize, you know, um, I'm just at a different place in life than a lot of them. Um, my priorities shifted. My, my, for as much as changed, what has remained constant is there are only 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. And I only have but so much time and 
energy to devote to so much. And so the more time I've spent as a father and as a husband, as a business owner, uh, naturally the less time I've had to commit to uh, friendships that don't overlap with those things. So like friends that also have kids that are of the same age as my daughter or colleagues that were friends first that became uh, co-workers or business associates who live in prox- you know, proximity to where I do. Um, and then, you know, they say like men have a hard time making new friendships as they get older. And I can tell you that is the case. Um, I, I, my wife will say like, can we go out with this other couple? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I don't have the bandwidth right now to handle a new relationship. And she'll say, it's just dinner. Like, and <laughs> can you just make a conversation for two hours? Yeah. And I almost know going in, like I could, but I'm just not interested and I don't want to come across as a jerk. And so I'd rather not. Um, and then ultimately she strongly encouraged that we do, that we do it. And I acquiesce and then ultimately I hated it and then we don't do it again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, kind of touching back on the sacrifices and risks that we touched on earlier. You know, it's a sacrifice that you made. And, um, you know, it is important that we are clear on our priorities and that definitely contributes to your success. Having that kind of clarity of what matters to you and what your values are. And being yeah. willing to let go of what doesn't align with that, which I'm I'm seeing as like a continuous theme throughout this conversation. The last question I'd like to ask you is, you know, how would you describe this season of your life? Well, I just got over COVID uh, and that took about six weeks. I developed bronchitis. So in short summary, this season has been frustrating <laughs> and um, uh, maddening and exhausting because I've dealt with a lot physically and, and mentally, but I, I still have to work every day and I still have to provide for my family. And I still have all, like all the other responsibilities don't go away. They're still present. So, you know, you, I talked to my doctor and my doctor's like, what you need to do is just rest, don't work, you know, just relax. And I'm like, on what planet is that possible? where you could just put everything else aside and go, I'm going to work on me for about four weeks. I'll I'll talk to you all soon. Um, But COVID aside, because thank God I'm feeling better and that's behind me. um, I'm entering a point right now in my life where where there's transition. Um, As I mentioned earlier, my daughter's starting kindergarten. She's on a different routine for the first time in her life, which means my wife and I are on a different routine for the first time um, in, in ours, um, as a unit. And so, you know, I don't know what the future holds, um, for all of us, uh, we're just going to have to play it out. I'm hopeful that in the next few years, uh, we, we, um, retract from the sort of COVID lifestyle that has, uh, been daunting and that there's more real world positive engagement. So many of the meetings that I've had, I've been over Zoom. So many of the podcasts I've recorded and have guessed, guessed it on like this one over Zoom. I would have loved for this conversation to be in person. Um, so yeah, uh, looking forward to embracing more folks in the real world, uh, getting back out there more, uh, relying less on, on virtual communication. 
uh, and uh, seeing what the future holds for this transitionary period in my, uh, my, my life. I'm, I'm grateful that you recovered. Thank you. That makes two and, of us. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm grateful that we had this conversation. Um, you know, you have plenty of interviews where you talk all about business, all about work all about audio mag dj booth and i wanted to make sure that i touch on that because it's uh a big part of your life and it's uh very impressive and resourceful you know but i also wanted to touch a little bit on the personal so i thank you for being open to having this conversation and before we get into the final five i'd like to hold space for you um, in the case that there's anything you feel we didn't touch on or you feel called to share anything if not it's all good I know. I mean, this this conversation was quite um, wide ranging, um, and I would be remiss if I did not uh, use this opportunity to thank you uh, for for having me on, for asking such incredible questions. You're really good at this, like really, really good at this. Um, I have done a lot of these, and traditionally they're the same textbook questions. Uh, so it was quite refreshing to get most questions that are not redundant and I haven't already answered. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, but we can, we can transition to the final five. I, I have nothing <laughs> further to add. Lovely. Thank you, Z. I'm, I'm honored to receive those words of affirmation from you. you okay. Them all. Thank you. So the final five are five fill in the blank sentences that you can fill in with one word more than one word it's up to you whatever comes to your mind cool ready yes okay i am grateful to overcome life hmm. i am grateful to receive love i am grateful to give love i am grateful to learn more about myself hmm. and i'm grateful to be Alive. Mm. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much again, Z. It's a great conversation. As you said, very wide ranged. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I am excited for this conversation to offer a fresh perspective and a new light on Brian Zizek. That'd be great. I, I, I can't wait to, uh, to share, uh, to share it with the world. Um, Again, thank you for having me, Jocelyn. Um, this was uh, this was a real treat.